Hail, hail, the Celts are here. Um, what the hell do we care now? I've liked, I've shared, and I've got you here to slag your hair. Uh, I've, got on, <laughs> I've got on the flagship podcast with us this week. It's none other than the man that owns the bus, the man that controls the bus. It's Boise. Boise, yes. good to see you. Good to meet you, mate. Hail, hail. Yes, Quinny, mate. Good to meet you, my man. Hail, hail. And, aye, nice one, man. It's been a long time coming, mate. A long time coming. Yeah, and for me, it's definitely a long-time listener, first-time caller kind of thing, you know, uh, and the live chats on the Boise bus as often as I can get in there, which is great. And uh, I find you, Boise, but at a time where there's not really much cause for smiles and good times and laughter, where at the moment it's, uh, <laughs> you know, around about Celtic Park, it's like the opening scene of Saving Ryan, uh, Saving Private Ryan, around about there. You know, people are getting stretched off, people are in the ward, the infirmary. We don't know when they're coming back. We don't even know if we've got a defence for the weekend. And we don't even know if reinforcements are coming. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's uh, aye, it's one of those things with Celtic. When it's all going plain sailing and you think, well, it was a big, big deal losing Ange. Then you replace them with the guy who's won seven out of seven trophies. You kind of think, wow, we're actually building from a position of strength here. And not all Celtic's fault, as you suggest, with injuries and things like that. But in true Celtic style, from a position of strength, we can snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, <laughs> as, yeah. as uh, only we can. As only we can, you can say that again. I think that was definitely the vibe around the Rogers return. It was like we are going to like try and put the foot down a bit more and try and you know capitalize on this position because you know I, th I think I speak for a lot of Celtic fans um, on this one. But going through that like that nine in a row stretch we had there, we knew there was periods where the club were holding back, and it was like, well, we're going to get the job done anyway. And you kind of, you, me personally, anyway, you can kind of bite it and deal with it, knowing that one day it'll pay off. One day, because of all this good practice and keeping our nose clean and doing all this stuff, one day it should flood through for us. And maybe the Rogers appointment made made me think maybe there was the time, but you know, maybe not. Uh, so I think like coming into the summer of the now, like we've just had, you know, in the final week, boy, say Brendan's just did a press conference, and it's one of the ones where he's probably spilled the most about actually like yeah we're going to go and make some things happen all of a sudden mm. have you heard the quotes yourself no i'm not long in for my work um but yeah we can go through some of the quotes i'd be more than happy to do that with you big man absolutely um one thing i would say is with, with regards to his mention his messages that he's been putting out leading up to uh today's press conference that he seems to have went in a direction of travel that got us really excited as well. It wasn't just the fact it was Brendan that had came back. I think the you know when you're open up with I'll see you in May and then saying things like, you know, we're going to make I'm here to make an impact in Europe. I'm here to win again and make an impact in Europe. Then to, you know, I'm here to coach the players that are provided to me and things like this. I'm paraphrasing of course. But when yeah. it gets to that, you feel like the the instant momentum that he'd sort of built with these initial sort of quips had sort of diluted a wee bit. Um, and the biggest fear I think many of the fans have, and I need to get this copyrighted, was that we get end up with Rogers Light because that's not what we want. And I think, uh, you know, if he's came back, he's got to be the same. He's got to be the same guy as before. Whether that was a, a guy who had too much to say in the boardroom or not. So what sometimes these guys need, not just a little nudge, but they need a big push. And uh, I, I'm very much like you, uh, very much like you, Quinny. I was in the, in the boat where I thought, wow, if they've brought him back, Maybe we've seen off all the rainy days when you think COVID and all that have proven that we are going to be financially stable no matter what. And therefore, by bringing Brendan back, he'll have been given basically the assurances that he wasn't given last time round. And now it's win-win. It doesn't look so far like it's uh, played out like that, but I'm sure we can talk about that as well. Yeah, I think like it's one of those ones, I was thinking about it earlier today, before we get into what the manager actually said, that, you know, it is one of those ones where, I don't know, for the first two games and stuff like that, you know, we were going to sit and watch the matches and be happy with this guy. Oh, why did they start him? That guy was terrible. But the manager, as much, I know he sees him on the training pitch every week, but some of this stuff, like, you can't really see it until it's on the pitch. You can't really see, like, what are we missing until you play a few teams and then it's, like, in the pudding. Uh, as it were, and like again, with whatever assurances he's got, like he will obviously still have some sort of leash. So I think when it is, like I think it has to get to the stage where it's blatantly obvious. Yeah, we're missing a jota type. Look at the Kamarnock game; yes. we couldn't unlock the door. It's blatantly obvious. Now there's no arguing. There's no uh, can we get by without this anymore? And now the the door, you know, it's, we're firmly at the door of the defence now in this way because Vickers is out for 
eight weeks. Narofke, uh, whatever we're calling him, Narofke is out for about eight weeks as well. Yeah, big Rocky boy. Uh, same as Stephen Welsh. We're going to get in the international window, Hitate and um, Kobayashi back in the international window. They'll return to training then. And Alistair Johnson should make the weekend. Mikey Johnson will be back in training next week. Um, so, they're, and defence is decimated. We think and we suspected he was after a left-back. But now, you know, we're, you know we're, the next eight weeks, boys, like you mentioned already, we'll be in the Champions League. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, mm. the thick the Champions League will go by in that period, you know. And, you know, the, the expected defence for the weekend is Lager Bielke and Liam Scales. We cannot be running into Europe with that, can we? <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I don't think for the Champions League that's a centre-half pairing that you would want. But again, if the focus is going to be in the Champions League for a bit of positive light here right now, the transfer window could be going exactly as they expected it to, in the sense that for us to be able to bring in players that maybe we wouldn't be able to be able to afford normally or pay for outright, loan to buys, or maybe just on loan, things like that, but that are really going to be definitely of that higher standard we normally can't achieve. Were we really going to be able to get them before the last week of the window? I don't think so. And I think what, what it might be is some of the targets, they'd be waiting on things like Premier League squads being announced or just letting certain transfer situations play out. And then if that player is still available, make your move at the end. And whether it be, I know it's not what people want to hear about loans to buy and things, but maybe we've got to be a bit creative in the way we go about bringing in players, if you are on the mind of the Champions League. Now, to flip it, um, obviously, Stephen Welsh picked up a knock as well. Three out of four centre-backs at Celtic injured. I mean, that is his top four centre-halves, and three of them are out. The one that remains is a £3 million player, uh, and then it's going to be, we either go to like to William Scales, or you maybe move Alistair Johnson into to centre-half. Or if there is a new signing made that can maybe play there as well. I've heard that KT can play at centre back, you know. Um, but <laughs> but I mean, I think I think when you look at it, three out of four centre backs would be damaging to us at any point. I don't think the answer can always be just to play devil's advocate. Can always be we've got a guy out for two months, right? We'll go buy another one. That's not quite going to work either. If you told me at the start of the season we would begin with four centre halves. You know, one was three million pounds, one's four and a bit million pounds, and you've got you know Cameron Carter Vickers who may have cost six, but it's worth ten million upwards or whatever now, fifteen million upwards, whatever. And you would have another that Brendan Rogers chose to reward with a four-year deal this summer. I would be quite, I'd be okay with that. So the injuries are a real bad luck, um, but I don't want to be too negative on it because I think when I look at that position in general, I go. Do you know what? I would have happily went into the season with it. It's just how, how luck's played out. But hey, hope we've got seven days, six days, seven days to, to maybe see if we, if we can strengthen that department again anyway. Yeah. Well, on the importance of new signings, uh, Roger said, uh, especially in centre-half is what he's going to try and push for. And it's someone for experience. So, like, I think, I don't think they would have done this transfer yet. I make you right. I think, like, <clears throat> the squad depth is exactly where he wanted it. But like I say, I think with it being, like, I know normally you can't just go around and just, uh, you know, patch the leaky holes on the boat with these transfers for injuries. And we haven't really done it in the past. But, like, if we're going to get two, three, four games into a Champions League campaign without a centre-back that's fit that we've got at the moment, then we're basically writing the thing off, aren't we? With Joe Hart and goals, a left-back we don't fancy, and a right-back that's just back from injury. Didn't play much of pre-season, if memory serves me right. Um so I just feels like I feels like if we don't get a centre back, particularly after the quote of an experienced one, I think it'll be a big letdown. We don't want a Shane Duffy, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true as well. That's true. And do you know what? Though? The thing is, I wonder if that would be a once bitten, twice as shy uh, scenario where they go, "Well, hold on here." You know, everyone thought it was an experienced, dominating centre back that we needed just to get us over the ten. I think, you know, there's a lot of revisionism going on. I know fine well I was in the camp that that's a perfect solution for us at the back, you know, perfect Same. solution. I think that's just been fair. We now know what unfolded and it wasn't. I just wonder if they might go, do you know what, it ain't worth doing that again right now. We've got the four that we want to work with. We're going to need to make do. Although when you flip it, is that a Champions League mindset? Sometimes hurdles come along the road. You just need to be ready to tackle them and rip up your original plan and, 
and go, look, we're going to have five. <laughs> and then yeah. try and at least give the group, you know, the, the care and attention that it deserves. But notwithstanding that, I wonder if it will be like the top, top priority. I think they might get in someone that can maybe play a variety of positions, Quinny, and it would be maybe if they could play left-back and play centre-back, or like Alistair Johnson, play right-back and play centre-back, or, you know, in the case of Iwata, whether is, is it the level or not, you know, the, the story is that he can play as that sort of number six and a centre-back. And I wonder if it might be something like that that comes in that they will plug the gap at centre-half initially, but then they'll have that his future Celtic career sort of paved out to be in his preferred position, his more natural one. Yeah, that would definitely make a lot of sense. Um and I, yeah, I could definitely see them making a move like that for sure. We've seen a bit, a few rumours as well, like, you know, and that kind of talisman, since Jot has left, we've all kind of seen the writing on the wall that we need a guy that can beat a man, can unlock a door, you know, can just make something magical happen. And we're only starting to get some links recently now. We had some links right at the beginning of the window, but we've got a link to a Costa Rican or Honduran guy. I forget where he's from, but he plays in Greece at the moment. Yes. For Aris. Um, Palmer, yeah, that guy. Uh, so he's been linked, and he seems to be like a quite a direct enough um, type of winger. And I think there might have been somebody else that was really probably just clickbait. It probably wasn't anything. So it, it definitely feels that there's a there's a few moves towards that. And you know, like like you say, boy, say at the beginning of the window when Rogers comes in, you think, oh, we're going to be going from a position of strength. You also then hear the board, and you remember this as well. I'm pretty sure it was under Ange before we even sold Jota, but it was like, oh, our transfer spend this summer will be. There was a there was a number that went around the rumor mills and all that kind of stuff, and it was like I don't know twenty six million. Yeah, I think thirty million. million. I think a lot of people felt that there was. I think you're right to say as well. It's not even about the money. We just felt there will be a war chest of sorts to of accommodate. When you look at the other optics, that you know, again, I'm not privy to the exact numbers, but the stories are that Brendan's now the best paid manager since. Brendan Rogers, which I'm sure he quite likes. <laughs> and uh, apparently we broke the, the Henrik Larson record wage as well. I think that, that they believe that's to Cal Mack, potentially Kyogo as well. Now, that we didn't indicate, and these, were, these sort of moves were done way earlier in the window, you know, way earlier. That's sort of looked like Celtic then meant business. Okay, we broke a wage structure in that department, that department. Next up will be the transfer fee. Like, you know, that's what we thought. There is still time to do that. This is what I keep going back to. And maybe the guys that would break a transfer free, but become with a wee bit more distinction, maybe more of a rubber stamped uh, guarantee of quality. Maybe we'll just need to be, uh, you know, I know patience is a virtue and all that. And this is really uh, a stressful time. I keep looking down at the date there. <laughs> I'm like, wow, the 24th really is cutting it fine. But there is still time for there to be a few sort of blockbuster headline catching. And I always say this about signings as well, Quinn, sorry for rambling, but I always say this about signings as well. See, when it comes to it, I think as football fans, we deserve moments of, can you remember when? And I think you get them sprinkled, but nowhere near littered enough at Celtic throughout time. You know, when you think, can you remember where you were or when we signed Robbie Keane? Roy Keane, like, remember when that remember when we appointed Brendan Rogers first time round? These things don't happen enough at a football club like Celtic for me. So I think we deserve that type of thing. I think there will be work trying to do it. Will we spend over 30 million this window? Do you know what? We still might. Because I think you know, people maybe have been a bit quick to overlook players. Had Ange been in situ right now, they wouldn't have been dismissing so quickly when they've arrived. And I think, Brendan, that's not his fault. Celtic was signing these guys anyway, and I don't think they're getting as fair uh, an ob observation from people as what they would have got had them been Ange, because people would have been led up the garden path a wee bit more, that Ange was more heavily involved in the signings of them, as, a, as opposed to it being so black and white that there's a, these are Celtic football club signings. Brendan's not signed anyone yet. Whereas I think more people doing Ange has his paws all over that guy and all over that one, and would have been more warming to 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 see what they could do. Whereas I think a lot of fans' eyes would not, you know, take Rocky and uh, Lager Lagerbilk out there, and you go, my pronunciation was shocking there. Um, but you know, we take those two out, and I think the other players are really got an uphill battle to even try and to try and get sort of favour from the fans. I know they'll say they'll support them. But I think they've been almost dismissed a wee bit more than uh, what they would have been had it been. 
Ange Postacoglu still in charge. Yeah, no, that's a definitely a fair point. I definitely feel that with maybe the lagger BLK. Norovsky, I think, kind of hit the uh, hit the ground running pretty well. Yes. But yeah, no, I, I make you quite right on that. I think it definitely was a perception thing. And I think that's maybe a little bit of the, the lore, the kind of fairy tale that went around Ange, because we heard from signings like Ange phoned me. And as soon as he phoned me, I knew that was it. I was coming, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Ange was, the Ange whisperer, you know. I mean, we had all that. Whereas with Brendan, he's just like, they give me a list and I say, aye or no. Yeah, I mean, and then <laughs> that's it. You know, that's the kind of vibe we get from both of them. Mm. So it feels like, as you say, maybe the paws are on more uh, with Ange and with Brendan. It's maybe, and again, it's just the perception from the outside. You know, I'm sure yes. Brendan phones players and talks to them all, of course. But um, for us as fans, that you know, we've not heard the the Brendan whisperer stories yet. You know, once we get yeah. uh, somebody saying, "Oh, Brendan phoned me and told me what a beautiful, wonderful human being I was," and <laughs> <laughs> and how I was going to further my career at Celtic and stuff like that, then maybe that thing will maybe move to Brendan as well. Eh? Can I ask you something? I wonder if if this is a problem, right? See the thing is when Brendan's came back, came back, and I know I said about Brendan Light. But maybe it's just going, I'm just going to play it and bat straight down the middle this time. Do you know what I mean? I'm just going to answer honestly. I hated the fact that I was accused of X, Y, and Z the last time. It broke my heart. This time I'm just going to be straight-laced. And I just feel like, no. I think one of the reasons we were so upset you left the last time is because we, you really did capture the imagination, particularly in his first summer, with the signings of Scott Sinclair and been able just to have a conversation and I've worked with him so long, you know, like a son to me, all that sort of pattern. I think you kind of need all that sort of buy-in. So I hope he's not been put off doing that because of his exit last time, because up to his exit, the reason we were raging is because no one wanted you to go. So whatever you did to get yourself to that stage last time, do that again now you're back. That would be my advice. So, yeah, more of that content, definitely, you know. As long as I'm here, he'll be here. He wants to dish that sort of pattern out again. I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, big time, uh, for sure. I think as well, like, with the, you know, that's definitely a, a, maybe something I'm sure he's aware of. But, yes, it's definitely an understated factor around it all. That, like, yeah, part of the reason there was so much upset is because nobody wanted him to go, you know what I mean? And it was, you know, the knockouts of the European ties that we had were obviously shocking but like you know we're signing players from PSG's academy and we're going to get Moussin Dembele ahead of you know Premier League teams wanted him and he was yeah. coming out of the championship and you know we could have done this and that and uh, so yeah no I, I'm with you all the way there and I hope it isn't uh, a kind of negative change in that respect because you would like to think that you know he is talking about I'm back and I'm going to I'm here to achieve more than last time and that you know is what brings us back to what we're chatting mm-hmm. about at the beginning of the pod you'd like to think it's about Europe it's about getting more points but getting more revenue, more money in, and then, you know, progressing um, there on in from there. But looking at his, his comments, he's talking about it is really important to be getting new signings in and all the rest of it. When you're talking about the contract extension stuff that we've all found really exciting right early at the window, what was probably the missing piece of that was Hitati. He never signed a deal, and then mm. it's kind of rumbling on a little bit now. I'll give you my two cents on it, boys. I'd be really interested yeah, to hear what you on. think now that, now that we're at this point. But I think he's been offered... I think, see, when we heard about in the last week, he's rejected a contract. I think Celtic are trying to give him a new contract. It'll probably be like 95, 98% tidy, you know, wage increase, score a goal, get paid, and all that stuff. But they're probably trying to put on a big, juicy minimum fee that raises their profile of what they can sell players. And Itate is probably looking at it and going, You've never sold somebody for 50 million. So, uh, no, I'm not accepting that because I'm not getting kept here if a magical mm. offer doesn't come out of thin air. So that's kind of the way I read it a little bit because he is injured. He's very, I know he's got ambitions of the Premier League, but he's definitely been very straight with us and saying, I'm focused on Celtic, I'm focused on Champions League. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that resolved. Um, but the Atate thing has kind of been a bit of a fly ointment over the last couple of weeks. They had no contract extension, didn't get played over Turnbull, and now he's got this injury. Well, yeah, it's interesting because I, I've always felt as well that I know the story seems to be circulating now, and I'm not sure how accurate it is like he's rejected a contract recently or he's maybe just said, look, let's just put it on the back burner. I would suspect that the window goes into phases. Now, I'm not basing this on anything other than just my creative imagination, right? But I wonder if the first phase of Brendan's spell here was who, if a bid comes in, head is going to turn. And it's like, right, okay, we don't blame you, Jota. It's 193000 a week. That's fine. But see the guys who want to commit to me, I want to stay here. And my job is to get you tied up. I want, you know, longer term contracts that cement the futures of 
McGregor, Kyogo, Maeda, Hatate. I think Hatate rolls off that list, guaranteed back then. I think it's just coming to light because he's not signed the deal, he's not started a couple of games, and now they're just bringing the story like it's just all, all the parts are just all coming together with a week to go. But my instinct would tell me, Quinny, that to be honest, I think he would have been offered the deal back when the other players were. I think that would have made sense when you're trying to sort of decipher who's still going to be here come the next few seasons. Now, Celtic's still in a position of strength three years to go on that one. Obviously, I know there's a lot of player power right now. But then again, see if that door does shut, that transfer door does shut, and you decide to what? Not try, not kick a ball. I tell you what, the club that you go to next ain't going to be as good as what you think by sitting on the bench in the SPFL, a league that gets looked on with complete and utter disdain by the top five leagues anyway. The only way you can get a move to these, you know, you know, these absolute powerhouse uh, leagues where the money is absolutely crazy is by doing your bit on the park. Now, do you want to be Rio Hattati sitting on the bench in the Champions League? Does Rio Hattati's agent want Rio Hattati sitting on the bench in the Champions League? Absolutely not. So it, there has to come an impasse. And it felt to me, again, trying to be a wee bit positive here, that maybe he's just said, look, there's three years to go in the deal. I don't want to sign a new one now. Can we park it till the window closes? And then we'll maybe revisit it when things have calmed down a bit. But all this talk right now, whilst my agent's filling my head with this club, that club, blah, 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 it's just all a bit much because if we've got a tactic for the Champions League, I know what you're talking about with the defence, he is a player I feel can actually be classed as Champions League quality once he gets into his group. I know he had moments uh, last year, but with six games experience now and not a win under his in, in his record yet, I think he'll be a, a refocused one in the Champions League this year if we can keep him to them. A player with three years to go in their deal, mate, at 26 years old, being coveted by big clubs, and uh, that we can know can do the business in the Champions League. It's a nice headache to have. Oh, for sure, big time. And I think Itati is one of these ones that over, like, it's probably a Celtic career, it definitely divides opinion. Some people don't see why he's so important to the team, I think, until mm. the matches where you, where you miss him and you need him kind of thing. Sure. But it is clear to see in that Champions League set and especially that kind of elite football arena that you need a guy like that that's going to be on the ball, be comfortable in tight spaces and, you know, can can kind of operate all over the pitch. All the players we spoke about so far, Boise, we're not going to see mm -hmm. any of them at the weekend and we're probably mm -hmm. not going to see any of them the weekend after as well, of course, you know. So this is like, I've been <clears throat> on the podcast so far this season, I've been saying like, it feels like up until the game next weekend, that's kind of like, like kind of what you're talking about, the transfer window's almost at the stages, you know, so that's like stage one of the season done, you know, we're also out of a cup, which is a bit of a bummer. But getting those first couple of games out the road and also the first derby is probably a checkpoint and also the transfer window, the where it's landing, there's probably a checkpoint that the manager of the club have kind of been... Yeah building around in that sense, Great you know, point. so yep. with like two games left to go uh, and a lot of these key players out, it's, I was really excited at the beginning of the season, but see, especially over the last week, I feel really lost in terms of, you know, like, how good are we actually going to do this year at the moment? Because there's a few missing pieces and then there's a few like injuries and then how long will that be? And when will these games be fixtured in and who will we actually get in the group stages? Will we sign some people? And it's, 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 so, more, it's so much more clouded than it was, say, like two or three weeks ago. Need to try and get that clarity back in the mind. I think I've been, I've, I'm usually the worst for all this, and I've kind of, do you know what? So maybe it's just a fickle character trait I've got. But I remember saying last summer, this window is very underwhelming. I had said then, keep an eye on the board. We just got the first time in 15 years it was last year, guaranteed Champions League group stage money, and we have brought in two players that were already agreed a fee with the summer before. Therefore, that money, whether you like the term ring-fenced or not, and maybe that's not completely accurate, it was money set aside that, well, once they go on to do what they can do, we'll get them over the line. Um, then out with that, you know, Jens is the only one who started the Champions League. I think he started six out of six. He was gone by January. You look at Haksabanovic, he started one, sorry, he did, hooked at half-time. Burnaby didn't start a Champions League game. Aaron Moy played 17 minutes in the Champions League game. In fact, Aaron Moy played for about two, three months. That was it. Very well during those two, three months. But can you, I looked at that window and I called it at the time. I thought, hmm, not so sure about this one. This time around, I don't know. To try and give you clarity, I would say, has this all been magnified because we've exited a League Cup? The third most important competition domestically. 
has that seems to have been, in my opinion, anyway, watching the sort of real the focus seems to went up. There was always a camp before the defeat, by the way, that felt we hadn't done enough yet. But now it feels like everyone, every single person is now laser focused on what the board's next moves are. So if a result in the third most important competition domestically is going to trigger that, then maybe it was a hit none of us wanted to take, but could be worth it in the long run because the pressure will ramp up now. Well, it has ramped up. You've seen it yourself. Um, out with that, we've still got Brendan Rodgers who we were completely convinced would do well. We've just accepted for the first 10 minutes of the show how unlucky the injuries have been. We've spoke about losing a player of Jota's quality. We spoke, obviously, Aaron Moy retired after his, his three months. I don't think he would have gotten the team anyway, but that's a different point. He was a relative first-team player in the side last year. Um, and I just feel that maybe if we keep the faith in the sense of the manager will get it right with the team no matter what, right? And he will, no matter what that group is, he will win a heck of a lot more games than than he does in Scotland. I think he's got the track record, the CV to prove that both here and down, down south. Um, and the fact he's not really signed the players of yet would suggest, unless he is in a personality transplant, that will change in the next seven days. And maybe more in our favour because of the result. And we're three points clear at the top of the league. So it's interesting. I just think, I do get why the, the, the waters are muddied, but I feel like there's a heck of a lot more negativity right now than than there should be, albeit there's nothing wrong with pushing on for, for wanting better and things like that. I totally agree with that too. Yeah. One thing that's kind of coming to my mind is as we're talking now, like I remember you saying on your channel how underwhelming you felt that window was. I was, I was getting me flashbacks when you were saying that uh -huh. uh, uh, just now. But one thing that that kind of brought on me as well is it was quite clear even under Ange that there was Celtic signings and there was Ange signings. Like Celtic didn't sign Kyogo, Dyson and those guys, you know. And, and uh, you know, Ange, as much as he was whispering to them on the phone and stuff, he didn't sign Juranovic and Jackie Marcus and whatever. You know, the club found those guys and, sure. and brought them. For, for me, anyway, you know, that's the way I kind of see yeah. it. Um, so if there is that kind of dichotomy, that kind of, you know, there's two things kind of going on, maybe in the transfer policy where the club will look after the club. We'll look after getting into three, four million quid guys and we're going to give them to you. You better bloody do your best for them. And yep. then maybe there's like, right, well, go and get who you want, you know, with that part of the money. And then... You know, so maybe there's that kind of, and maybe these things take time, like you mentioned, and, you know, maybe he's... That would be a fairer compromise, Quinny, wouldn't it, pal? That would be a fairer yeah. compromise, because that's where both sides, between Brendan and the club, got it wrong last time. Now, I'm very much more in the team of Brendan Rodgers, that if you don't get me John McGinn for 2.8 million, but you can spend 2 million and 2 million for Sved and Bio the following window... That would irk me as well. But maybe he just also had a problem with Celtic signing players under his nose and wanted too much autonomy in a modern-day football club. That ain't going to happen. There's going to be stay in your lane. But from a Celtic point of view, when players maybe buy Rodgers and everyone and their granny identify John McGinn as being a player, then you had like Castagne, Puccini, things like this. And I just wonder if there was a bit where Brendan went, OK, I'm not liking more of what you're doing because you're not doing anything on my shopping list that I want. Um, I think we got Malumbu at the end of that window as well, if you remember. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, and I just wonder if the compromise, as you rightfully point out there, is we're still going to do the Celtic thing. We actually think the, the scouting's a lot better than when you were here last time. You might actually have more nuggets that come out the cluster of players we'll get each summer window. And also, we've heard you out. And if you come here looking for a player... We think of a realistic fee for Celtic to pay, we'll do our damnest to go get them. I think that would have that's what I would have guessed the the, the summer conversation was before he took over. There were seven days to prove that right, of course, and that's where the worry comes in. Yeah. And the worry comes as well, it's well, I guess that would ease the worries if Brendan does go out, see he gets three men of his own. He goes and gets a Dyes and a Kyogo and a Hitate of his own, you know, from whatever league championship or from Belgium or from France, wherever he's going to go shopping. Um, then that will change. But outside of that, the main worry I've always had, particularly when it comes to whoever goalkeeper we sign next, it's like, what standard are we going for with the yep. with the top signings? You know I mean? Is, are they a 5 million guy rather than a 3 million guy? Because that's not really touching the sides for me. You know, it's not really making much of a difference. You know, like, um, and again, no one said it and Brendan was quite quick to like do some quotes after a week or two saying like, oh, we're not going to be spending 15 and 20 mil. But I still firmly hold the expectation that the transfer record should be going in this window. 
you know, like the number we, we both kind of agreed with everyone was kind of in the consensus of that. I just about 30 million quid floating around to go this window before Jota goes, before Jota is sold. So I find that that's a good point, you know. I mean, that the record is what 11 mil or something like that. It's Chris Sutton or Edward, it's one of the two of them, and uh. You know what I mean? And I said at the time, boys, I think that £30 million would have been a gross figure rather than a net figure, which means Jota's going to pay for all the business, basically. And that is kind of the way it's going so far. I hope that is not the way it goes. But that was my first suspicion when I heard that number under Angela. I was like, that's going to be a net number. We're going to sell somebody for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I hope not. Oh. I hear you there. I, um, I wonder. I wonder with that. I mean, obviously, we'd like to think you could push the boat out more when £25 million arrives. But then, realistically, they might think, well, what player, how many players are we bringing in here that are going to be of that sort of level in the one summer? I don't know. That's not me making excuses for it. I generally don't know. I think we would all be content, even with the Jota sale. I'd appreciate the, you know, the, the net spend would be extremely low. Um, but I think we would all say, if we spend 30-odd million this summer, we'd be pretty happy or pretty content. From what we had, then you factor in what you've lost. And then you spend 30 million, we probably should be in a bit of a better place, I would imagine, than, than where, where we were before. Um, but I just think that when it comes to the, the, the cost implications of players, Celtic, for whatever reason, do seem to lose their, their, sort, of, uh, their sort of purpose a wee bit, their sense of backbone that you require. I think that elite min, uh, mindset. I was watching the Champions League qualifier midweek. And it was interesting that uh, in commentary they said PSV Eindhoven were playing their record signing. I uh, just signed this summer. Interestingly, we know PSV weren't in the Champions League last year because they were put out by by Rangers. This um, this summer they've broken their transfer record. Already signed a seven million and a five million pound player from a couple of different leagues. And when I look at that. Guess what? They're playing in a Champions League qualifier again. Now, those last two summers, we've had guaranteed access to Champions League football. And interestingly, if you remember, Quinn, we used to have these pesky qualifiers to have to, to compete in, and we didn't make a great job of it. There was, a, there was a small element of sympathy, I think, to the fact that, well, you don't want to overplay your hand and then not qualify just because you've brought these guys in think you will. Well, it turns out that was all nonsense because now when we do qualify, we still don't, you know, gamble early. I didn't expect us to gamble early. I expect it to be later in the window. Not because it's right, just because I expect that's what my expectations are. But really, when you hear those PSV Eindhoven stats and things, I think it's pretty comparable. We've got about twice the size of stadium as them. TV yeah. revenue, yeah, they'll make more in Holland, but we'll make more in other commercial avenues and things. I just thought, Wow. So even when they trip up, they don't sort of recoil um, and they, they have a go. And I think sometimes Celtic need to have a go, Quinny. That sounds really simple. But even when we seem to have all our um, everything in order, such as guaranteed group stage football, that guaranteed revenue from the Champions League, there are two seasons in the spin. We still can't, can't quite find you know, our cojones in the market to go, let's go now. Let's get the players in now. And instead, we're still in that halfway house come the uh, the 24th of August. On that kind of note, the, the first oh, two things kind of pop into my mind. I think part of the worry with the what's happened to the club with going out to Kamarnock is it's kind of highlighted, of course, any of the kind of domestic kind of frailties that we've got. And I think guaranteed group stages next year is probably more important, or it's probably more important to them than, let's say, 12 points in the season's Champions League. They want to make sure... Again, next season. I'm sure you've looked at the format for next season. I know we've spoke about it already in this pod a few times. I won't bore people by uh, spelling it out to them. But I kind of think, see, we're talking about that conversation with Rogers and whatever back in Mallorca. I think part of that conversation goes, we're going to be going into this Champions League 10 group, 10 games potentially every year. And that's when we're going to da 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 da. So this season is a wee bit more about, you know, teeth cutting and that kind of thing. But with regards to PSV and the other European powerhouses, see the main thing that I notice, boy, say from like being as close to all this stuff as I, as I can get, is a lot of these clubs that do push the boat out and are like somebody that we should look at and think, wow, they're doing it. Why can't we? Like the PSVs, mm -hmm. the Benficas, the Club Bruges, or whatever, is that so many of the staff, the club, the board, so many of those people are like organic fans, like 
out and out, you know. So not to go on too much of a tangent, right? But seeing Holland, mm-hmm. particularly outside of PSV, Ajax, and Feyenoord, those types, all of the clubs are tiny. Holland is a really small country, lots yeah. of small places in it, and all of those clubs are teeny tiny. And at the stadiums, the stadiums are particularly the lower down you go, they're closer to pavilions and in yeah. all the little communities. It's like in the little village, everyone works at the stadium. Not everyone, right? But like, you know, yeah. the tea ladies are locals and, you know, the ticket guys and the stewards and whatever. And then and then the, the, the feed down that they have, it goes from the top to the bottom. But then like all the kids that grow up in that village, in that town, they go there and then maybe their catchment area is PSV. So if they're really, really good, they end up at PSV eventually. But if they don't end up at PSV, they stay in the wee local team. And that's kind of how... Holland kind of runs around. And because of that, the structure of these clubs is top to bottom, like fans, you know what I mean? Like guys yeah. that are like Volendam fans or PSV, you know, like these guys that are like yeah, inbred yeah. into the community of the club, if you get me. So like when you see PSV, you see Ajax and all these clubs, like see all their guys that are doing talent ID and scouting and all that, they are legitimately thinking about the best thing on the pitch at every turn, if you know what I mean. They're not thinking about balance sheets, I'm sure they have to account for these things, but it's not yeah. the objective of these things. It's more, you know, like PSV two or three seasons ago, I don't know if you'd have seen this boy too, but they signed Mario Gotza out of the Bundesliga. Right. Yeah, I mean, after he'd won, the, I know he had some health problems and stuff, but can you imagine Celtic paying Mario Gotza 80, 80 grand a week to come in Glasgow yeah. for a few seasons? It wouldn't happen. Yeah, I mean, for, for a World Cup winner, maybe you would. Anyway, so I think that, Celtic is in a really weird position where like the internal workings of the club feels like the fans and like hardcore guys that are bought and we know some of them are maybe just jobs worth that are here for a payday and I mean a payday in the sense that they're getting paid to clock in and clock out do their do their work and go home kind of thing they're not uh, like us that bleeds green kind of thing you know and I think it's that kind of thing we're missing and we look at some of the clubs um, again I won't name them all right but like Ajax you know, quite famously, their sporting director for about five or six years was Van der Sar, former player, guy, players respect and, you know, that kind of thing. And as they lose managers like Ten Hag and, you know, they've had a lot of manager churn over the last five or six years, he's always there and he's talking to the players and he's like, oh, right, okay, we've sold that guy, we've been scouting this other guy for two years, I already know about him and they bring a manager in that plays the same philosophy and, you know, like you said, we've both said before, like already, like the manager is kind of a wee bit in that mode now with the club where, He's getting given some bits to play with and he's maybe got some autonomy. But I would love to see, and I'm glad you've wore the Borussia Dortmund top today because the first mm-hmm. guy comes into my mind when I think about this for Celtic is I would love an ex-pro to be in the like the Edwin van der Sar role. Somebody like a Paul Lambert or somebody like that who's got like a real career, a real pedigree. And like I say Paul Lambert because he's played in Germany, he's won a Champions League, he speaks German, you know, he knows people that, you know, I don't know, like, let's say if it was Neil Lennon. Paul Lambert knows different people than Paul Neil Lambert's Lennon. Paul has got a bit more clout for his playing yeah. career, I would say. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, so somebody like that, you know. I don't think you'd get Henke to do that job. I don't know if he would take mm-hmm. it. Um, but, you know, somebody like that, I think, would be... Is, is that To make my point succinctly, I think that person is the difference between being a PSV and being a Celtic. I think that's very, very interesting. Um, because obviously we've had the same sort of the same guys in situ for a long time now. I know I appreciate there's been additions, but to put it in a different way, we've created a road for our own back at times as well with the negativity that is rife. And when I say I'm not being as negative as other fans, what I'd like to make abundantly clear is I don't necessarily blame them for that either. I'm just in a different mind space this summer, probably with a lot of that being blind face and Brendan still being. Brendan Rogers, who tends to get what he wants eventually and won't go down and it be, you know, on him when he's not been backed whatsoever and things like this. But what the negativity you've got to look at two years ago, you know, when you go back two and a half years in this protest and things like this, and it sacked the board and it was day upon day and it was sacked the board and these fans entitled to that opinion, absolutely. And yet all it took was, whether it be, I don't know, uh, and supposed to call we winning a few games, and suddenly all the heat from that seemed to change. And actually, the board played musical chairs. Um, we've now got two <laughs> Lowells for the price of one, and you yeah. go, and everyone's kind of like, Oh, don't slag that last summer because Angie's in now. Everyone's kind of now sharpening the knives again for Peter Lowell and things like this. My opinion was, Don't bring him back 
if he ever was away. But don't do it if you don't need to, because what you've just done is give another layer to if you have an underwhelming summer, the fan negative reaction. They will naturally and instinctively point to him and blame him. Whether he's to blame or not, let's be real, we don't know. If Celtic are being slow in the transfer market, is it because Peter Lowell's back? We don't know. But you're going to suspect it. One thing you can guarantee is if he's not there, then you can't not know. You do know, because you know he's not there. So I just think things like this, and, and you know, the optics, if you'd said to those protesters outside in two years' time, you'll have spent 18 months not caring who was in the board, it'll be the same guys, just all with different job titles, and there'll be two Lawwells for the price of one. Well, can you just imagine what the reaction then would have been? So at times, maybe whilst the board are sleepwalking, we shouldn't always let results allow us to sort of sleepwalk our mindset either. If you were that convinced the board needed to go, don't let a three points on the table muddy your mind. And with that, I'll go back to what I was saying earlier. If it was Brendan that a lot of the, from a footballing perspective, a lot of fans wanted, then don't let a League Cup exit muddy your head on that. That you know, doesn't know how to manage it. He's never been elite and his style's slow and boring and crap. Don't be so reactionary on one result or a, or a group of, of, of results. Also keep your eyes, you know, try and keep them as balanced as you can. Easy for me to say. I mean, I, I, I don't always practice what I preach. Let's be abundantly clear. But I do think that at times we've, we've got a board there, just to go back to your original point, that are in situ because they've, they've kind of been allowed to, when we really ramped the pressure on them, they actually didn't back down, they doubled down. And there's no two ways about it, Quinny. That's, that is what they did. They doubled the law wells, they played musical chairs, and we all thought, Oh, but we're winning, so it's fine. Don't be surprised when you find yourself having the exact same conversations you were this time five years ago, eerily, with Brendan back in back in the dugout. Aye, that's it. That's definitely a thought for sure. And I think, like, I'm not too up on a lot of the internal politics and workings sure. of it. One of the things I love hearing on your channel is, like, there's only one guy called Chairman, so it doesn't matter if he's executive or non-executive, he's still the chairman, you know. I found that really funny the first couple of times, <laughs> for sure. But I, I think a lot of this stuff is it, definitely like I try and plug into it. I try and make sure I'm up to speed with it as it's kind of going and whatever. And a lot of this stuff on the history of it is, is all quite obvious. But for me, like Peter Lawwell, you know, until I really got into like Celtic media and stuff like that and trying to make videos and whatever, I always thought Peter Lawwell was a guy that was really trying to fly the flag for us. He's in all these fancy board meetings with European clubs. Sure. He's on cool committees and... You know what I mean? And like we've got automatic qualification to the Champions League in the new format. You know, they've made sure like clubs like us are looked after. And I don't doubt his voice in the room was any small part in that, you know, because there's not many smaller clubs in those meetings, as it were. You know, it is like us and Ajax and Benfica, and that's it. And it's everyone else is in the top five. Your definition of smaller, we can argue on, of course, no problem, of right? Course. But it's genius, that's genius business you've just described just described there though, Quinny. But that, we that's the way I've we can't, we can't qualify for the competition, so I'll petition them to make it bigger. <laughs> uh -huh. Or make sure if they do a European Super League, we're on we're on the bus. We're on yeah, the bus, we're getting onto like that it. Super League, you know, get some of that money, you know. Uh, so that's that's always been my kind of opinion of them. And then like obviously there's all their stuff over the last five years, of course it's obvious and all the rest of it and you know, whatever. But that's one thing I don't think the man, the fan on the street gives them credit for necessarily, is that he is keeping us right in with them, you know, in that sense. And I think if there's any developments, you're only going to see, if not Celtic directly, the Scottish League being, like, not left behind um, kind of idea. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just something I thought I'd throw out for balance. But, yeah, for, for me, yeah, I would cool. like to see, like, a, a legend in the club somehow come in to maybe just be the football man of it all. You know, we hear this. I was getting wee kind of um, wee bells going off in my mind when you're talking about letting three points, you know, appease your, your worries. It's, it's, it's like... The thing that's coming to my mind is it's like Man United syndrome with the Glazers. You know what I mean? Like if they're winning three or four games in a row, nothing, nothing. But as soon as they draw, it's get the green and gold scarves out. We're selling them tonight, you know, and <laughs> we're going so to go true. protesting. You know what I mean? So it's football fans. We're all very fickle. We all love three points. We all live weekend to weekend, and uh, you know it's one of those ones where yeah, when you are getting a bit too excited or a bit too upset about these things, you do need to kind of take a wee step back. Remember, it's a game and it's a club we love, and then remember like. Yeah, it'll be fine tomorrow. <laughs> They'll get something before the deadline. They'll get something before the deadline. Love we hope. <laughs>
But before we get to the deadline, we've got a big game this weekend, boys. Like we've kind of batted around at the beginning of the show. The normally we like to talk about like some predicted 11s and some uh, score predictions and stuff like that. I think this game really, like Brendan said in the quotes, that he um, is moving on from the game rather than. So the question came to him something. This is on the Celtic YouTube page uh, for his press conference. But the question came to him something to the effect of, "Are you demanding the guys bounce back?" from the negative result or do you just move on from the negative result and like, you know, just move on kind of thing. And he basically said, move on, but you expect them to, you know, kill St. Johnson at the same time kind of thing. So I think we all expect them to want to kill St. Johnson this weekend and um, it should be a cracker. But with all these injuries we've got, we've seen how disjointed we looked at times against Aberdeen. We've also seen the Kilmarnock result and we know the, 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 well, the worries we've got in defence. Is this a banana skin waiting to happen? Is this going to be a drubbing? Is it going to be like 2-0 and we're all annoyed about it and there's a penalty or something? Or, you know, is this one of those games where we get, right, okay, we've got to be bouncing back and then maybe we're not ready to bounce back? Um, where, do I stand? where do I stand on it? I think, I think to be totally honest with you, still to get another goal, St. John's have been terrible this season. I mean, my local team is still in Albion, beat them at McDermott Park 3 or 4 nil. I think this could be the perfect tonic for us, if I'm honest with you. I think, you know, when you look at the, the fixture list and you see that as the next game, you go, that's what we needed. That's the fixture that you needed after that real disappointment at Rugby Park. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes like five or six and suddenly Brendan just finds his poise, has his swagger back and starts thinking, you know, who's doubting what, that I can play attacking football here? I mean, have you seen the highlights reel from the last time I was here, for example. I mean, come on. What are we talking about? We don't all play the same way. Styles make fights. And, uh, it, you know, it took Paul Stokoglu's style, um, you know, 26, 27 years for him to even get to a major European club. So we can't say it's not without flaws either. And I think it's also be remiss to, to when it comes to how we've played under Brendan so far. To say it's that many miles away from the last two, two and a half, three months of last season in real terms we had slowed down big time now many will say that oh it's once the league had happened there was plenty of unconvincing performances i think since the turn of the year yes we got the job done but if you remember that kind of became the mantra we know how to win things that see when you start saying that that tells you the performance level itself must not have been great now of course but knowing how to win is key but i think the performance levels haven't dipped as drastically from the tail end, not even the tail end, the last third of last season, Quinny, as much as people are making out, people are jumping from Brendan's first uh, end of his first spell to now. And that's just irrelevant because it's, you know, 10 different players that are starting every game. It's just point, a pointless observation. But what the real one you can look at is the vast bulk of that team is the same as what finished last season. And I think the performance levels um, have, have kind of dipped a wee bit from there but not by a great height. I think Brendan will find his poise, find his swagger this weekend, like I say, and I think it could be five or six now at home. I'll be bold, um, and I'm certainly hoping so as well. <laughs> yeah, I hope so as well. I've, I've predicted five plus, but I'm trying to hold myself back because early season I was saying, yeah, I would fancy this for a treble. Yeah, I'd fancy this for a treble. Yeah. And obviously that's going quite quickly. So I'm trying to temper my enthusiasm, and I'm trying to think, right, let's try and live in the real world. Do we maybe not spank them? And... Just wanted to throw that out, but you know, it's one of those ones. I think it should be. A, I think like the likes of Kyogo, Turnbull, especially after the last couple of games, a few of these guys should really have you know a fire under their backside to you know go and put a marker down. Because let's say we Barton Johnson six or seven now, five yep. plus. Does that really change our chances of the following game, given the defense and the injuries that we spoke about already? You know, I know we need the morale boost and the lift, but spanking St. Johnson doesn't really, you know. Uh, mean anything in preparation for an old firm as he given the injuries and stuff we've got I would think yeah well, I think I think as well you know when we factor in before the St Johnston game we've only got tomorrow uh, yep. to to really sign a player I think then it'll be between the St Johnston game and, and and you know the the Rangers one that particularly will see wow okay what's happening here with the signing so there could be some curveballs in that lineup that Again, will render then the St. John's to performance more irrelevant because they might get dropped right in at the start and 11. 
And it takes on a life form of its own, as they say, and all that, these games either way. I think there's a I think there's a lot more to be confident about in a guy that's only ever lost once to a Rangers team before. Someone who's really gonna go into these games, not because the teams are the same. I, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite for what I said two seconds ago, but in terms of the what these games, how they, they consume uh, a city, how they consume all our fan base, how the players, how to get them laser focused for it, how to prepare properly for them, how to keep your own mindset zen and level ahead of it. And one thing that I always felt with Rodgers was in these games, and I know everyone points to it, it's a bit of a run-of-the-mill example, but we'll use it anyway, um, was that, you know, the, the, the 10 men when the, the game that effectively cost us that, that stand at Ibrox. I mean, I think when you look at his body language, as well as the tactical work, he was able to have a clear mind when Simonovic is sent off, a completely clear mind, and a cauldron of noise, uh, with the odds now going against us uh, at 2-2 at that point, and he had a complete clear mind and made not an emotional, impulsive, caught-in-the-moment decision, he made a tactically brilliant one. And I think that is such an advantage, having a manager who's been there in that environment, doing that already, when he goes into this game, he will not play the fixture. He will he will, uh, he will play the, the, the 90 minutes that are in front of him. And if he needs to make and implement changes in-game as well, I think he'll prove himself to be a wee bit more adept to that than what even Ange was. And it's not about always contrasting and comparing the two. I accept that. But I don't think he'll be slow in making tweaks and changes in that fixture if he doesn't like what he sees or other hurdles arise, such as injuries and suspensions. Oh, yeah, uh, no, sorry, it's red cards. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Now, yeah, it's, it's definitely an understated part of the fixture as well as like the, the game management of it all, you know. And um, and had a decent enough record in, in, yeah. in uh, these Derby games, but definitely wasn't impeccable. And like, we all bemoaned the substitutions for different reasons uh, at different times, you know, and it was just paint by numbers right. situation, you know, which just, you know, makes it a bit predictable and takes a wee bit of your element away. And Rogers, yeah, he's definitely got a wee bit more of that. Could do something different. Could sub somebody at halftime, you know. Could put, you know, um, we're not doing triple subs at sixty minutes every game for uh, tempo purposes, you know. We'll yeah, let a guy yeah, get eight yeah. minutes on form and really get into his stride a bit better. So I think that's maybe held some of the guys back, you know. Like O'Reilly and Rio Hitati very rarely broke sixty-five minutes last year, you know, like very rarely, you know. And that's definitely going to put a little, a little ceiling on you, you know, for how much yep. you know action you're getting. So. I, th- I feel that was O'Reilly in the first game, played uh, played 85, if not 90. You know, played a much longer game, O'Reilly, and looked better for it. Yeah, and I also take your point there as well. When you actually look at one thing Rogers, I don't think does either is necessarily, I know Scott Brown maybe was his favourite, but he was in the team on merit. I think there was examples in the autumn time of last year where Jack Amakis, for example, is scoring. Kyogo isn't. Fair competition means the striker scoring then gets the nod. That's just fair. And I don't think in a month of Sundays he would have done that. It was quite apparent that Giacomacus was it. And that was a bit of favouritism, could you call it that? I think you probably could. And I think Rogers again, one of his best assets is he will be ruthless. And I think when you've seen Hattati dropped, I was glad you mentioned that earlier, for the, the opening day, I think that was because he started the Tuesday preseason, uh, not preseason, James Forrest testimonial, sorry, and he was very careless on the ball in that, but he gave a goal away. I know he scored a cracker himself, but there was a few over-the-shoulder blind passes he was making that almost as if you're not taking this seriously. This is the rehearsal for the league. And it was like, I'll not be shy. You know, you might get away with that before. I'll not be shy in, in taking you out the team. And that was him laying a bit of a marker. Of course, we turned that into, Hattie's out. He wants away. Rogers doesn't rate him and, and all that yeah. stuff. He's willing to take all that on the chin. And I think, in fact, the moment we're talking the other night, all the stuff that's led us to talking about the next fixture, all the side shows that are going on right now, I still back Brendan to be able to make every decision, whether it be in the transfer market that he does have any sort of power of, and on the part, whether it be against St Johnston or come Rangers, all the noise that happens in the next seven, eight days, and there will be a lot of noise, I think he'll still be able to make clear-cut, concise decisions. Yeah. And like the stuff that he's actually emphasising is like strength, quality, and then the recent quotes, he's emphasising maybe a bit more experience and age uh, profile, you know. So if he does get his way, like you've, you've said a few times, Boise, like, and he does get some big, strong, quality players in to play whatever positions they might be, 
then uh, that could be a pretty decent upgrade. You mentioned yourself earlier that you caught um, a bit of the Champions League qualifier, Rangers PSV. I didn't catch that one. I watched them uh, in the round before. I can't even remember who they were playing now. It was a pretty rubbish oh. game. Oh, Servette. They were both so, terrible, man. Did, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You, you, I don't know if you watched them in the league or anything, but in terms of, you know, have you seen much of them? Um, anything that you think of them? I find myself bizarrely watching their game against Morton, like fleetingly. I think once they, they got in front or they got a penalty, I kind of turned it off. Up to then, they were they were absolutely garbage. Um, Midweek, they were okay. They seem to raise it when it's a better team against them. I still felt on the ball, PSV looked, I don't know, 10 times more confident on the ball with a quick passing. Rangers almost want it to be a riot. Like, and I don't yeah. mean that in a bad way, but they want it to be just a wee bit like all about intensity, all about pressing, all about tackles flying in left, right, and center. The, the you know, everyone's sort of turning on their heels a million times, and every every sort of build up of play, everything seems to be a bit helter skelter with, and then just get across in the box if we do get a bit of space. I don't know, we'll try and temper that, and then it will come down to the football, and uh, that'll be that'll be interesting to see. How we do. I also find it interesting. We'll have a three million pound player like home on the bench. They'll have a couple of one million pound players in that will be we'll our own fans will be telling us our you know something really to worry about. And again, I think we we, we at times have an inferiority complex where we look at oh, he's in the Rangers team straight. Yeah, of course he is, because the squad wasn't that good. We signed project players for you know three times as much as some of theirs. So you know, have a bit of faith in the boys that we've got in uh, Brendan Methods and I look forward to all of them. Aye, that, I, I always look forward to games every weekend. I'm always, um, especially over the last couple, of, especially over the last like 10 years or something, obviously win more than lose. But every weekend, I think it's maybe a Celtic thing, of course, as well. But you, you can't look at a game and not think about Celtic winning it. St. Johnson is very easy to do. But honestly, like looking at the next weekend, it's probably one of the few times over the last, like I say, decade or something, but it's especially with that fixture. I'm like, oh, actually, I don't really know how that one's going to go too much. No defence, no playmaker in midfield and um, a few bits and pieces. I think definitely it's going to be Helter Skelter over the rain and transfer window. And again, like we've seen a lot of really important debuts in these derby matches over the years as well, some of them for better and for worse. <laughs> so I never even thought about that as a potential uh, kind of outcome over the next couple of days or so. So yeah, that could definitely be exciting. Um, if you were to, uh, uh, let's finish on this. There's a point in the score predictions. We both think it'll be a, a killer, right? If you were to sign one position, boys, I won't get you can give me a name if you like, but if we were only going to get one guy Brendan wanted, what Brendan guy, what position would you want him to be? I think you would need to bring in a striker. Um, that would be, yeah, I, I'll tell you the reasons why. I think if you actually look how he's utilizing Kyogo in the more false nine, I think Brendan sees a heck of a lot more. Footballing ability in Kyogo. Not that Ange didn't, but Ange wanted to. Ange was kind of using Kyogo in a way like he just went, this will be a real advantage for us playing him up top. Kyogo's finished and is brilliant the amount of goals he gets. He misses a lot too. But I think we've already seen some of the warm up, that is, sorry, warm up build up play. Kyogo's been involved in this season. I just think sometimes also we've went longer this year. Just that focal point, Jack and Mac, as I'm basically describing here. But maybe someone of that ilk. I always feel as well, when it's your boy up top, there's just something that, that, that hits a bit different. And maybe the reasons why Andrew's so determined to always play Kyogo, even if Jack Marcus was the one in goal scoring because Kyogo was his boy. I think Kyogo will definitely play every week. You know, I don't, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. But I wonder if he'll go for more of a focal point right up top and have Kyogo sort of in that hole as well. And that would then allow the midfield options to become a wee bit more competitive with just two sort of competing in there. I wouldn't be surprised to see a change of foot there. And I think that one would have the most impact in shifting the fans' attitude because it might make us, whether it be more direct, we might start scoring more goals, looking at a bit more of a threat. And then you would see, of course, as well, the biggest difference is there. Do you know what? We might even play two up top. Could happen. Well, if we go two up top, we could have three at the back. That's kind of that could be the oh. way it goes as well. So, yeah, I could definitely see that. The striker's a great shout, uh, boys, because it is a different one. It's not one that um, definitely when I talk to people, people uh, throw well, who, out there. Who but... was on the bench, Quinny? Who was it's very quickly? Who was on the bench last week? Yeah, it's, it's a great point. Face, you know. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, the first thing that always pops into my head right now, I just can't shake it. Is goalkeeper like it's just. 
I just can't shake it off me. So I was really glad to hear you say striker there. And if I'm not going to say goalkeeper, I would I would probably go into left back. I think if Rogers was going to spend like seven million on an upgrade, I don't know. We spoke about defence, we're not not to rehash any of that for centre back, sure. but he clearly isn't um, convinced by Taylor. I think Taylor could convince him like to an extent, but I think it's clear for us all to see that similar to what you're saying with Kyogo, um, Ange was only going to use Taylor in a certain way, and by pure luck or happenstance or whatever you want to think of it, Greg Taylor is perfectly suited to playing that position at this level. He's insane at it. But doing the other stuff or doing normal jobs as left back or whatever, he's just like a normal left back again, which is fine. You know what I mean? But he's not in the attacking mid position, breaking into the box and doing all this wonderful stuff anymore. And I think Brendan, uh, you know, who knows about Bernabe still? He's obviously still quite young between the ears, but I think it's, I think if we had, what we expect to see out of Alistair Johnson, if you get a clear mirror image of that on the left, then instantly that that centre-back pair, and whenever it does become fit, it just feels more like a unit, I think. Because Taylor, for as long as we're going to look at him now under Rodgers, we know Rodgers has probably got a wee cock above his head, you know, in that sense. So that can't be good as a player. Obviously, guys like Taylor and Ralston have gone on to prove people wrong and forge their careers. Yes. Taylor can do it again, but I think Rodgers, he's probably got his heart set on Something like that, I think. And if I was going to get one Rogers guy, I would take the left back. I like it. I, I think that's hard to argue with. He's probably got a Rogers guy in mind. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, if you've enjoyed this, I hope you all have. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Get into the comment section and let me and Boise know if you were to get one Rogers signing in, what position would you take? And uh, I'll certainly pick up on the next one. Boise, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show. It's been great. Thank you, mate. No, enjoyed it, Quinny. Always a pleasure, mate. Top lad. Nice one. End it. Anyone that's going to the game, travel safe and see ya. Hail, hail. <laughs>